Blog Talk Radio. Soulvox Radio presents Evolve with your host, Robin White Turtle Disney. Hi, this is Robin White Turtle Disney. The show is Evolve, and my special guest today is Dave Markowitz. And Dave has worked with thousands of highly sensitive people. He's an intuitive healing facilitator, guide, and best-selling author, and he shows you how to transform illness into vitality and confusion into clarity. He's lectured with Deepak Chopra and Gary Knoll, and uh, he's written three books, Healing with Source, Self-Care for the Self-Aware, A Guide for Highly Sensitive People, Empaths, Intuitives, and Healers, and his newest book, which we're going to be talking about today, is called Empathopedia. And it's a guide for people that have high sensitivities. So welcome, Dave. It's great to have you on the show. Thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So I know that our listeners are wondering how you came about writing such a book from your own personal story. Uh, So if you could tell us a little bit about that, that would be great. Sure. Um, Well, it all started when I was... uh, doing uh, more traditional medical intuition, although that might be an oxymoron to some, traditional and medical intuition, mm-hmm. and energy healing work. And when I moved out to Portland, I didn't really know anyone. And a friend, my, someone that I did meet briefly said, would you like to go to a friend's birthday party? And I didn't realize, I said yes, because I didn't know anyone. I figured it'd be a good opportunity to meet people. And I didn't realize until I got there that it was one of those party bus tours. Mm. <laughs> I can imagine I, many, many of the people listening right now just kind of rolled their eyes and said, not for me. Well, that was not for me either. <laughs> and I didn't drink any alcohol. I hadn't drank in a very long time, and I was fine with that. And I just had water the entire evening. And at the end of the evening, I felt as drunk as I'd ever been. <laughs> And I, it hit me in a unusually, uh, well, usually, you know, alcohol can kind of muddle the senses. And in that case, I was more acutely aware of what everyone had been telling me and I'd been denying for so long, which is that I am an empath. Uh-huh. So many people had mentioned that. Just Some just came up to me out of nowhere and said, you know, you're an empath. <laughs> I just said, yeah, I've heard that, but I didn't really want to own the label for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And that was the experience that really, you know, in the taxi on the way home, I said, oh, this is what it means to be an empath, that you can get drunk without drinking. Mm-hmm. Just picking up on enough vibes from enough people up over enough period of time. And what happened was starting the very next day, I started getting a lot of people who, when I did the reading, I would say something like, wow, okay, so this is, you know, uh, repressed energy, this might be grief or anger, and that's kind of understood in most of the metaphysical circles. But then I was hearing something a little bit different, which was, oh, and it's your father's, or oh, and it's that of the collective. And it began this pretty much... uh, had a message for Dave and I was finally listening and um, 
had to figure out how I could help these people. It was a very different set of circumstances. Mm. And fortunately, being an intuitive, as you know, we don't have to know things. We just listen. And if we listen well, we can help others. And that's, mm. that was a beautiful thing. So I was able to intuit uh, how to help these people mm. manage incoming energies and heal the things that have been absorbed already. Mm-hmm. And it became so common, or so many things were were shared by so many of those people that it, it you know was not a, could not be a coincidence. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, having a book under the belt already and really just loving writing, then came the message: you need to write about this. <laughs> <laughs> and and I did. And that book, Self Care for the Self Aware, was on Amazon's uh, bestseller list for 41 consecutive months. Mm-hmm. A lot of great reviews, a couple of silly reviews, but I think most people can tell who the trolls are and who are not. Yeah. Um, and then it came time to write the next one because I had learned so much since that first book was written. Mm-hmm. And that became the birth of Empathopedia, mm-hmm. given for highly sensitive persons and for empaths. So it's a little bit of a, you know, a fun story. Uh-huh. <laughs> People ask me, you know, do you go out now to bars to <laughs> get that high again? I said, no, I, I really don't. <laughs> I don't miss that feeling. Uh, but it's nice to know that if I wanted to get drunk, I could do so without affecting my liver. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and probably saving a lot of money in the process <laughs> as well. But it just doesn't really appeal to me. So. Yeah, yeah. I, oh. I find certain bars to be very, very difficult to even walk in the door and yeah. other other places. And I like to go out and visit with friends, but it has to be certain places where there's light and there's air and there's water and there's movement. <laughs> there's not a lot of heavy energy, you know. Right, so, right. Yeah. And, and the bars, to me, as you're indicating, just to jump into that a little bit with more detail, a lot of times people are drinking to forget their problems. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to blanket, you know, sugarcoat or anything like that. It's just what I experienced right. in, in, in my time. And part of the healing, which is my passion, is about just the opposite. Right. It's about getting in touch with what's there right. on deep visceral levels as opposed to trying to bury it. Mm-hmm. So I just don't really find a lot of... Uh, fun being in those environments and if some people enjoy it so be it but most people that I've been working with over the last seven years or so have resonated with the term highly sensitive or empathic stay away from bars like you said go to healthier maybe not the healthiest but healthier restaurants okay. with light and windows and okay. um, that kind of thing so or parks or just get togethers Right. where it's not that heavy energy. Right. Yeah, so anyone listening, you're you're not alone. <laughs> you're talking to people here who have probably been avoiding bars for a long time, <laughs> potentially after having some fair amount of time in them, but we don't need right. to go into that part. <laughs> <laughs> well, I find also, in uh, not to delay this whole thing about bars, but I find, too, as a medium, that I often pick up, uh, on other energies that are trying to communicate with the people that are there, especially if they're in grief. Um, sometimes they have entities or energies or beings or di- di- disenfranchised parts of themselves 
that are hanging out at the bar with them. And um, I can see them and feel them, and it's very uncomfortable sometimes because they're not in the best shape. So right. I try to avoid that. So. As much as you might want to walk up to someone saying, do you know this is what's happening? I'm probably going to learn not to do that. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm not the long island psychic. I don't do that. <laughs> I uh, I don't. I have a very strong boundary about that. People have to come to me. So so tell us about your book, The Empathopedia, because I feel like you. I read it last night, and I just was so impressed with how you're kind of uh, looking at what is an empath and kind of breaking it down. Um, you have a great example about the hands, which I thought was so insightful. So can you talk about that a little, just how you break down what an empath is? Sure. I sense into the question, and it's, it's interesting that it's one of the questions that I don't answer on my website. Because I found most people that find me already have an idea uh-huh. that they're highly sensitive or empathic. But uh, empathic people tend to not just pick up and feel what's going on with others, but even embody it. Mm-hmm. And for some, I know that sounds ridiculous, but there is science mm-hmm. that, is pro- that is proving this. That this is possible now. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, And there's basically what I called in the book a skilled empath versus an unskilled in retrospect, probably should have been called trained versus untrained. Mm-hmm. Um, but we don't need to mince words too much. So the idea is to train people from being in the unskilled or untrained to knowing how to work with the gift. Because mm-hmm. when used well, and empathy is a tremendous gift. It really allows us to connect with other people on a very deep level. Mm-hmm. I think ultimately that's what everyone really wants anyway. Yeah. So if we can do that, and that's our superpower and yet not be trained and end up with tremendous overwhelm or anxiety or even things that are diagnosed as depression, chronic fatigue, anxiety, the list goes on and on. Mm -hmm. If we recognize the possibility that these are not our own burdens that we're carrying, Mm -hmm. we open open ourselves up to a whole new world of potential of good and bad, technically, but ultimately to empower ourselves to be that mm-hmm. force of love and peace and connection mm-hmm. in any environment because it's so important to, to do that. So mm-hmm. there is a bit of responsibility in that, but at the same time, the book talks about knowing true responsibility. We don't want to come from our pattern, which is the part that we learn when we're really young that says, it's my job to make everyone happy. I'm the peacemaker, I'm the caretaker. There's a lot of different labels that we can use. Mm-hmm. And like you said, with the boundaries, until someone comes to you, they're probably not ready right. to be empowered. Right. And so part of this is recognizing the draw and the pull towards those that are hurting, but also to understand how to interact with them in a way that is helpful Mm-hmm. but not burdensome. Mm-hmm. So really the big fine-tuning of our gift. Mm-hmm. And from there, wow, I think the possibilities are endless. I, I often help people get in touch with very deep emotions, and the value of that might be, I think, underestimated in the Western world. Mm-hmm. And yet I see every day that people feel better after they get in touch with and feel seen and heard and acknowledged because 
you know, I tell this joke, but it's, 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 um, it's true is that when, if I was a kid and I made someone cry, I'd be considered a bad person. Now people pay me for it. <laughs> Not that it's my job per se to make them cry, but often it happens just as an end result of being seen through the eyes of unconditional love, which is part of what brings about the healing. Exactly. So my wife often asks me, how many people did you make cry today? And I say, you know, three or four. And she'll say, oh, it's an off day. Sorry to hear that. Uh, it's a very strange job, but a very lovely one as well. Yeah. And I, I detail in any book and passipedia how to how to access these deeper emotions mm-hmm. and how much it's, how much easier it is when someone's holding safe space. Right. Someone's just listening. Right. And not judging. The yeah. judgment is what keeps the energy blocked, right. not flowing, and right. one of the major causes of pain and illness. Right. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I often have people... Uh, like you that come in and they sit down and they just start crying there. I don't know why I'm crying. <laughs> yeah, I love <laughs> and, that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I love that too. It feels like, you know, the embrace, they they feel the embrace of, yeah. you know, like you're fine just the way you are. Let's just start there and see where right. we can go, you know. Right. They're not broken. Even, right. if, they, even if they feel that coming in, um, part of the empowerment message, I think, is that we're not broken. We can all use fine-tuning. It's not about just saying, oh, everything's wonderful. Right. Especially if you're in pain and pain is trying to tell you something, it's uh, it's very comforting realizing, wow, I'm one of potentially millions of people who feel this way, mm-hmm. even though I felt so alone. Mm-hmm. I, one of my favorite, my most favorite emails that I get from uh, readers is, I don't feel so alone anymore, yeah. mm-hmm. which... It's such a beautiful thing to me. I mean, sure, it's nice to hear someone say, I relieved my symptoms of X, Y, or Z that I've had for decades. And sure, there's, that's great. Mm-hmm. But something about someone saying, I don't feel alone anymore, really affects my heart more mm-hmm. deeply. Mm-hmm. And of course, from that place, the healing is you know, a lot easier. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's, it's amazing to be able to hold that space. And it happens so automatically now. I don't really consciously say, oh, I'm going to make this person cry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but when they do, I, I, I verbalize and, and welcome all, any and all emotions. Mm-hmm. And I create as much of a safe place as possible. And like you said, sometimes they just sit down and start crying mm-hmm. and have no idea why. Right. Well, most of us are carrying a lot of grief. Right. In fact, mm-hmm. it's, you could even say it's sort of plaguing. Yeah, it's not the right word, but it's certainly pervasive yes. throughout all of our experience. And because we're not taught that it's a healing part of our lives to mm-hmm. grieve, mm-hmm. just the opposite. We're taught to stop grieving. It doesn't look right. It's not macho. It's not pretty. You know, we've heard all kinds of things. Um, to me, it's kind of like the emotional immune system. Mm-hmm. Right. You have to allow the grieving to be there. And, and sure, it's not fun, but what I also know is that in a safe space, when understood for, um, for what it is, we can be with it mm-hmm. in a very different way and actually can move through it a lot faster. Right. I found that judging it actually keeps it in place. Yeah, and don't you find that grief takes the time it takes? Like, you can't rush it, you know, for some people that have lost people, it takes years and decades and for, to, to, to get to a point where they can remember them without crying or, you know, feeling sad when they talk about them. And other people, you know, they're kind of move through things more quickly 
or they're they've really did a lot of pre-grieving before the person died. Sure. So, so there's it's all so different, and I know it is in my own experience as well as with clients. You know, um, just depends on the on the relationship and the the love you had with the person and how complete you felt. And there's just so many factors. There's so many factors, absolutely. Yeah. It drives me crazy when I hear from my clients, oh, my partner or whatever says I should be done grieving my parents' death by now. Like, yeah. You know, even right. if it's like weeks, months, or years, you know. Yeah. Yeah. And what I found is that's because other people don't know what to do. They feel like they have, other people feel like they need to fix right. our client's grief, right. and they can't. Right. So right. it's their disempowerment and their inability to hold space that's coming up for healing, right. if anything. Yeah. Uh, uh, not always what it seems. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we're going to take a little break, and we'll come back, and we're going to continue talking about uh, the Empathopedia for highly sensitive people and empaths. And uh, we'll be right back. We're talking with Dave Markowitz, and this is Robin White Turtle listening, and the show is about Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the art, and culture with your host, Robin White-Turtle-Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, for Evolve. Hi, thanks for listening to the show. This is Robin White Turtle Lisney. I wanted to let you know what else I do in the world besides this radio show. I'm an energy medicine practitioner, intuitive, psychic, and medium. Uh, I work privately out of my home in uh, Capitola, California, but I work across the country uh, by phone or by FaceTime. I also work out of East West Bookshop. I'm there usually on Fridays. I also have books. Uh, my first book was Dancing Up the Moon. The uh, second was Sacred Living, and both of those were by Canori Press. Um, they're currently out of print, but I have a lot of newer books, Heart Path, Heart Path Handbook, uh, two poetry books, Poems for the Lost Deer, and my newest is called Mosaic, New and Collected Poems. All of my work focuses on cultural change and how we can change within ourselves, whether or not it's my personal changes as reflected in poetry, or uh, whether it's cultural change that's occurring on a larger scale. Uh, My books, Heart Path and Heart Path Handbook, focus on self-love, and I often teach people how to love themselves, the discordant parts that we all have. I'm also a visual artist, and you can see my artwork on my websites. The first is www.thecenterforthesoul.com, S-O-U-L, and the other is bluebonebooks.com. And now we'll go back to the show. This is Robin White Turtle with me. The show is Evolved, and I'm back with Dave Markowitz. And uh, he is an intuitive healing facilitator, guide, and best-selling author. And we're talking about his book, The Empathopedia for Highly Sensitive People and Empaths. And we've just talked a little bit about what what happens with empaths, but I'd like to find out more, Dave. Um, 
And people can find you. Where do, where can they find you? They can find you on your website. Do you have a couple websites? Um, it all kind of points to the same one, which is my name, DaveMarkowitz.com. Uh-huh. And from there, there's information, plenty of blog posts and videos, interviews, and uh, you know, all kinds of fun things mm-hmm. that are free there. And, of course, if anyone has interest in sessions, there's a frequently asked questions and um, information on how to schedule and where and when. And it's often done by phone and Skype mm-hmm. or Skype and also in person in Portland. I also do travel. Mm-hmm. So all that information is on the website, usually a few months in advance of where I'm going to be, and mm-hmm. mostly on the West Coast, up and down, but occasionally East Coast as well. Mm-hmm. Great, great. So in your Empathopedia, you you give kind of instructions and first identifying factors of what an empath is, and then you give kind of support. And so can you talk a little bit more about the support piece and how do you help people with Sure. The book is broken up to, uh, into a few sections. There's the prevention of taking on other people's energy, which can lead to pain and illness. There's the healing section, which shows how to get in touch with what's been absorbed already mm-hmm. and to work with that. And it's very specific. It's you know written by an HSP for an HSP. So mm-hmm. um, it's for people that have not gotten the results using traditional or alternative or complementary medicines, mm-hmm. it's been a bit of a godsend because it addresses people for who they are and gives information in alignment with what is true for them. Mm-hmm. It's very different, and I try to avoid the cookbook, you know, style thing, and yet there are so many things that are common. So between the prevention in the healing section is the A to Z section, and these are a list of ailments and conditions and challenges that a lot of empaths tend to face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And anything from uh, abandonment, uh, abundance, a bunch of things in the A all the way to Z. I took a little bit of writing license because I couldn't think of anything with Z, so I just did a bunch of Zs and called it sleep. <laughs> disorders and, and challenges uh-huh. uh, <laughs> and to me that's my that's the favorite part of the book to me I mean because people need to understand that, A they're not alone we mentioned that but also that there is hope for things that we've been told are hopeless right I don't believe that we're victims unless we kind of choose that even if it's on a conscious choice. Mm. And this is not in any way, shape, or form um, a put down of Western medicine or anything else that people are doing. And I like to believe we all complement each other. But there are times where people are given a diagnosis and because the energy of labeling tends to cement in not just the label itself but everything that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm tuning in here and hearing I should talk about what is called depression. Mm-hmm. And so what I understood that to be is very different from how the Western mindset looks at it. The Western doctor, with all due respect, might look at that and say, okay, you're low on serotonin, for example, and recommend some kind of, sort of artificial serotonin. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's fine for getting people through the day, which is 
important, obviously. We don't want people crashing all over the place. But it doesn't really get to the root. It doesn't answer how did that serotonin get low to begin with. And all the evidence, including my intuitive readings, are currently showing that emotional repression affects our body chemistry. Mm -hmm. Every thought, you know, remember Deepak Chopra years ago saying every thought is like a built-in pharmacy. It creates a chemical. This is not to blame people. This is to empower people. Sometimes we hear something like that and say, oh, it's my fault. I did that. It's not about that at all. It's more about, oh, okay, I had a hand in that, sure. And if that's true, that means I can have a, just as much, if not more, of a hand in reversing right. the symptoms. Right. So it only makes sense that the energy that's repressed when someone's dealing with depression, in addition to the more obvious or sometimes less obvious things like isolation, it's repression of grief energy, which right. we mentioned earlier, but right. it is that important that we might want to mention it again. And because we're taught to stuff it, it eventually creates this neurochemical uh, imbalance. Right. So why not look at that directly? Okay, well, what caused that? Well, if repression of grief caused it, then it's just logical at that point that the expression of grief is going to help heal it. Now, in the case with the empath, a highly sensitive person, there's also other people's grief. Mm-hmm. So it could be our parents, it could be society, it could be a culture, it could be the world. Mm-hmm. And how many people have you intuited or actually heard them say, I feel like I have the whole weight of the world on my shoulders? Mm-hmm. Right? And obviously, even if it feels like that, that's not an empowering mindset. That's very disempowering. Right. So what I tend to do is work with these things and identify what's going on intuitively, and I teach people how to do that as well on their own, um, not just in a session, but in the book. Mm-hmm. And once that's identified, we can say, oh, wow, just for example, I'm carrying my mother's grief. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once that's known, then the question, of course, is, well, how do you heal it? And this is the part that gets a little bit scary, so I, I think our listeners are ready for this, otherwise I wouldn't be hearing to talk about it, but mm-hmm. the idea that we have to give it back to who it belongs to. Right. Oh, I so agree with you. <laughs> Not an easy one to swallow at first for many people. Yeah. And this, even if a person is deceased, it doesn't matter. We mm-hmm. There are processes when we give it back to that person. It's all done metaphysically, of course. It's something mm-hmm. that I intuited pretty clearly and called return to sender. Since that came out, I realized there's a lot of other practices called return to sender. Some people hear that and say, oh, is it like this? And I have to explain the difference. Mm -hmm. That's fine. Mm -hmm. Um, But the idea that we have to give it back to the other person can be scary, and that's fine. It should be scary. Mm -hmm. And yet, it's a reminder of what's true, is that it's not our job to carry anything from anyone else. Mm-hmm. And if you really think about it, especially if it's your mother, she wouldn't want you carrying her stuff anyway. Mm-hmm. So why not embody that truth as opposed to what we might have learned as a child? Mm-hmm. It could be something very simple like, oh, you know, a, a, a father, for example, saying your mother's not feeling well today, go make her feel better. Mm-hmm. Right? And as a kid, of course, you're like, okay, yay, you know, I get a chance to... So we might act silly, we might act funny, we might do certain things, but the being, which is something that is very interesting in that being empathic, even at such a very young age, and then part of us picks up that this is actually helping. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now our ego is forming itself as the helper, 
which unfortunately includes helping in this disempowering way. So it starts out being good intentioned. It's very loving and kind, even if it's done subconsciously, which often happens. And we think it's a win-win until years later we get diagnosed with depression or something else mm-hmm. and realize it's actually been a lose-lose. So I help people embody that reality to recognize your old pattern is probably in control mm-hmm. and it's okay and it's not wrong and it's not bad, but I invite in the higher truth. And when we embody that higher truth, that we're really not responsible for anyone else's thoughts, feelings, emotions, and experiences. It makes the healing, the giving back of the energy to the other person or persons a lot easier. Right. And I've had people who have been struggling with that diagnosis, for example, some from for decades, who feel better in just a few sessions mm-hmm. because we're really getting to the root of it. Right. Mm-hmm. And as you know, that's, that's so key. Without that root awareness, we're just popping pills or getting drunk or distracting, whether it's Facebook or even work or uh, relationships. Everything's a distraction, ultimately, if you really break it down. Mm -hmm. Everything can be a distraction at that. And those are not, you know, just by nature, a distraction is not going to help you heal. Right, right. I find a lot of people and see if this resonates with you. I'm sure it does. But a lot of people take on examples like their parents or or people they admire as um, kind of inner parents. And they act from that particular person rather than their own self. And I, I often, like, have them discern the difference and then, you know, escort the other out of their hearts so that they can say, thank you very much, but it's time for me to live my own life. Right. And, um, and that, that is a, a really powerful thing for them to own who they are finally. They're both their masculine, their feminine, their high self, their child, whatever the components are. And um, it, it really makes a huge difference in healing to have themselves here authentically and then moving from Absolutely. that. So. Yeah, which for many is very scary because yeah. a lot of us, I do say us very specifically, a lot of us have these old belief systems and they basically run our lives. Mm-hmm. And they're not always our own belief systems. They're from parents, society, cultures, etc. So a lot of times there's this fear of who will I be if I heal this mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a form of resistance and to me resistance is not a brick wall mm-hmm. it's a doorway right I, I invite it fully mm-hmm. the initial reaction to some people is oh i couldn't do it right or whatever yeah all that means is there's something else there so it's an invitation mm-hmm. to a much deeper level of healing i actually welcome resistance years back you know when i was really attached to certain outcomes i would hate that yeah but now i see it's such an invitation to something deeper right uh so yeah, it's it's beautiful. I love your your phrase, escort the energy out of the heart. You know, that's, that's, I, I love the phrase, the escort thing. It just seems so much more peaceful. I, I often use the word allow. Yeah. I've found that someone is really, uh, you know, pushing. Right. It's actually adding tension to a situation that's already tense. Right. Right. And that's right. not going to be effective. No. So once we understand and open and allow the transfer to happen, it usually happens. And sometimes very quickly, sometimes even just a few minutes, I hear people say, wow, I didn't 
I didn't even know that I wasn't breathing as deeply as I could be, but yeah. now I feel a difference. Right. Or my symptom is gone, or um, my heart chakra feels so wide open right. just from these few minutes uh, of return. So yeah. uh, I, I feel very blessed to be able to escort, <laughs> yeah. to use your word, uh, these and uh, facilitate these healings for people. Uh, I don't know what I did in a past life. <laughs> but deserve this, but I'm gonna roll with it for now. Yeah. <laughs> I also recognize it could stop at any time, right? We never really know the future. Right. So I'm racing it for now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I I would like to talk more about some of these things, ways that people see themselves, and how we can shift that conditioning. Because really, that's a lot of what I find myself doing is helping people eliminate the old conditioning so they can come into alignment with their authentic self and not the one that they have as a mask in front of them. Right. So, uh, I'm, I'm sure your work is very much similar in that way, that um, you're helping to cut to the to the truth of what's really going on under what the ailments are. So. There's, always under, there's always a story under the story, right? Yeah, right, right. And we hold the space well, but that second story just shows up. Right. You know, and I, I just, I, I witnessed that so often. Uh, in fact, I think I told the story in, in the Empathic Beauty book. I remember one particular client came in and she said, oh, this and this and this about work. And she was obviously upset about it. And when she got done, I said, I get how stressful that seems. But I really think there's something else way deeper going on. And she just started crying. She's like, I wish my relationship with my mother was better, you know. <laughs> right, so that's, that first story was taking up all the energy right. and distracting from the sadness of not having the relationship that she wanted with her mother. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And it sets uh, those relation, primary relationships, um, I like to call, you know, mother, father, fam, family of origin relationships are so powerful that unless we address them and really take a look at them and and see what's theirs and what's ours, you know, very often people can live well into their middle age without having to even look at them. And what is true is there's something running underneath, you know, their anger, their frustration, or their hostility toward a member of the family that, you know, or whatever hostility they might have gotten um, from past karmas or whatever whatever happened, you know, that uh, it makes it challenging to have them overcome overcome that. Right, challenging but not impossible. Yeah. That's one of the, the beauties that I think you and I see pretty regularly right. is that you kind of defy the odds. Right. Pretty regularly, which is awesome. Yeah. And yeah, keywords there: um, vulnerability and authenticity. Right. We can't heal if we're not authentic about what's going on. Right. Exactly. And we can't communicate and connect with others deeply if we're not vulnerable. Mm-hmm. And yes, it can be very scary. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm also hearing to share that probably 80, 90 percent of the people I work with are are, are women, and mm-hmm. a lot of their uh, Complaints, shall we, shall we say, are from the masculine not able to hold space, right. not understanding what's needed, mm-hmm. and uh, I I share with them that you can you can <laughs> to sort of paraphrase the make it sound um, well it sounds what it sounds like you can train your men 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the masculine really wants to please the feminine. We mm-hmm. just typically don't know how. We grew up with these illusions of how to do so. Mm-hmm. And then at some point we realize, wow, this isn't working. Mm-hmm. And we, and it's not just the masculine feminine dynamic, it's with friends as well. Mm-hmm. If we're not authentic with ourselves and each other, we're going to feel isolated in a crowded room. Right. And there's a lot of research. Brene Brown is a fantastic speaker and researcher about this. I recommend her books. Mm-hmm. Um, but even without going into the details of what she's found, it's just kind of obvious to those that are even remotely intuitive, we're going to feel closer to someone when they're vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean we have to spill our guts to everyone, even though it might seem like everyone spills their guts to us as the empath. Right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, that's like you said earlier, there's, there's a the boundary thing to mm-hmm. learn when to say, hey, I love you and I want to be here for you, but I just don't have the bandwidth for that in this moment. Can right. we, yeah. you know, reconvene at some time or whatever. And most people, I think, seem to get that. Mm-hmm. As long as it's said in that kind of way or something similar where it's not seen as, uh, you know, uh, demeaning, mm-hmm. condescending, mm-hmm. like that, that doesn't really help anyone. Right. So, right. yeah, with that vulnerability and authenticity, that's what creates the deep connections. And I think the empaths just really seek that, even if we're not conscious of it. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I think we become conscious of that. Mm-hmm. We, you know, it's interesting. I, I often hear things like, I hate the hi, how you doing? How's your family? Fine. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> right? yeah. So I challenge people when they say that. I say, well, really ask something deeper. Like, mm-hmm whatever comes to mind or say, you know, you know, how's your chakra doing today or something <laughs> like invited, start the conversation right. or steer it to something that feels more authentic and more true you know, without forcing, of course. But, right. uh, and eventually I think as we embody this new level of authenticity, it becomes the norm mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and it can be frustrating for those that aren't, in that mode, but that's also a challenge to our own growth is to how do we hold compassion for those that aren't in that same vibration? Right. Because sometimes the mind will kick in and the judgments will kick in and say, oh, these aren't my people. I don't want to have anything to do with them. They're, they do this and they do that and they're not this and they this. And I'm like, okay, that's fine, but that's not really going to be conducive to a bigger healing. Right which I think is something that we all want to do. So I invite people to open up to those that are challenging to do it in a safe way, which Mm -hmm. is described in the book, and maybe we can describe a little more here, Mm -hmm. to do so in a safe way where you're not bombarded with other people's energy. Right. If they're sending all kinds of things towards you, Mm -hmm. um, you if they're selling it, you don't have to buy it. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great way to put it. (laughs) Yeah. So we're going to take another little break, and we'll come back. I'm talking with Dave Markowitz, who is the author of several books, and his latest is Empathopedia for Highly Sensitive People and Empaths. And uh, we'll be right back. So stay tuned. Evolve, nurturing the new in consciousness, the arts, and culture, with your host, Robin White Turtle Lisney. Evolve brings you people and ideas on the cutting edge of change, opening the shells of the past to move our culture into the now. We are all in great need of sustainable ideas for change. Evolve brings you the wise, the foolish, and the heart-based to help us meet the challenges of our times. 
Join us the third Thursday of the month at 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Evolve. Okay, this is Robin White Turtle Listening. The show is Evolve, and we're back with Dave Markowitz, uh, who is an empath as well as an intuitive healer uh, and facilitator and uh, an author. And we're talking about his book, Empathopedia, for highly sensitive people and empaths. So at the break, we were talking a little bit about the why me. <laughs> it's easy to get into as an empath because you're sensitive and other people aren't, and you're dealing with stuff on a level that is way bigger than kind of it's broader. Let me put it that way. Sometimes it's broader. So how do you – I know you addressed this in your book. Can you talk a little bit about that? One of my favorite things that came through me was when someone was saying, why me, why do I have X, Y, and Z? And what came out of me was something to the effect of, are you kidding? Considering your level of sensitivity, you might want to ask, why not you, as Mm. opposed to why you? Oh, (laughs) that's great. I love that. (laughs) And and if you really think about, like, if someone is taking on the energies of potentially a whole family, just Mm -hmm. an example, how could they not feel anxious, mm-hmm. right? If you're taking on energies of the world or very intense local ones even from people, environments, how could you not be frustrated and exhausted or fatigued right. as opposed to why am I fatigued? So I find by asking that question, it takes a little bit of the victim mindset out of the game right. and says, wow, okay, yeah, why not me? And this actually makes sense taking into account my empathic abilities as opposed to, you know, anything else. The other question is, like, why me? Why am I empathic? Well, it's like saying, why do you have, you know, brown hair? It's like, it's just part of you. I think everyone is born at least reasonably sensitive. Right. And our conditioning and environment, et cetera, shuts it down or cranks it up. Yes. And sometimes... Either one of those will be true for a certain period of time, and then the opposite will come in. And there's so many variables. Mm. Um, I didn't know that I was sensitive as a kid. In retrospect, when I think back to certain things, oh, of course. Mm-hmm. Right. That's why this, and that's why this. And when, I think when people start seeing that, the, the why me loses a lot of power. Right. And the empowerment really kicks in. Right, right. Um, the other part of that which is certainly up for a lot of people at this time, at least, is the, what some might call victim or narcissist. Right, right. And this country, the United States, in 2018, maybe in the last several years, is actually pretty narcissistic. Mm-hmm. There are many people that don't know their own country's history, much less where X, Y, or Z country is all over the world. Mm-hmm. We kind of get in a little bubble. And as a New Yorker, I learned that. You know, there's that joke that says the New Yorker's vision of the world is New York big, you know, and like everything else really small. Is, okay. You know, even like, you know, um, Kenya would be like a little borough outside New York to a New Yorker. And when I started getting out more, I said, wow, not everything is like it is in New York City, right. which is probably a good thing also, right? I mean, right. certainly there's a lot of beauty there, but there's also the potential of extreme overwhelm for highly sensitive persons. Right. Oh, yeah. 
think that was one of the reasons why Spirit said it's time for you to go west. Mm-hmm. Uh, when it did, at around 45 years old, after being, you know, I basically left everything I, I knew. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I went, I'm still in the country, there's still telephones and Skype and things like that. But uh, So this whole energy of why am I attracting narcissists is really huge. Yeah. And, you know, what I intuited was, and this is common knowledge for many, but if not, we'll, we'll enlighten some people perhaps, is that underneath the, you know, sometimes charming exterior of the narcissist, is a very frightened young child. Right, right. And they're really good at getting people to like them. But once you're in their web, so to speak, they can turn on you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, as an empath and as a sensitive person, we can sense that. And I think part of our programming says we need to heal the people that are in the most amount of pain. Mm-hmm. We find ourselves hanging around narcissists. And sometimes it can be very charming it can be really you know wonderful um, but a lot of times it's this darkness that's being covered up mm. and I just kind of want to backtrack a little bit also because it's almost sounding like I'm just putting down all narcissists as if it's this thing that you just catch like a, like a virus <laughs> it's not it's the end result right. of typically extreme trauma right that right. typically happens really young mm-hmm. And it's a coping mechanism, and mm-hmm. people learn to cope just like we coped by being even more sensitive or more loving and more caring. They learn to cope by being more manipulative. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think because we are sensitive to that and we feel what's underneath the facade, we want to help these people. Mm-hmm. And what I intuited was they're better off stepping aside. Right. Because you're probably not going to heal narcissists. Even if you've been married to one for 25 or 50 years or whatever, right. it's probably not going to happen. Because mm-hmm. what often happens, especially depending on the degree of narcissism, if you mention it, they will make you feel like you're wrong. Right. They'll turn it around on you. Yeah, yeah the flip. Mm-hmm. And unless someone is willing to own what's, what's true, then they can't make a, a change. It's like, I, I make this analogy, like you can't walk up to someone or even someone that you know for a long time and say, I'm going to teach you French. If they have no interest in learning French, it's not gonna happen, is it, right? right. So hmm. all the more so walking up to someone and saying, I'm going to teach you how to heal your narcissistic <laughs> tendencies and your broken heart. If they can see that their heart is broken or can't feel it, then they're not going to want to do anything, and it ends up being a one-way ticket to hell, basically. Yeah. Um, interestingly, what I also intuited was that what often does break the spell is extreme trauma. Mm. And this is not like saying, oh, I hope something bad happens to that person. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone's got their path. But if someone is full-blown or even mostly narcissistic, the thing that pops them out of that can be trauma to themselves or someone that they feel they love. Right. And that can wake up a lot of things. And that can create an opening where there can be a heart-to-heart connection, but it can't be forced. Right. right. That's the part that I think a lot of empaths get lost in. We really want to... And we believe it's good intention, and I think it is, but it's also 
uh, it's almost like unsolicited advice that nobody really likes unsolicited advice no matter how well-meaning and you see this on Facebook a lot of times too someone says oh I'm not feeling it today and you'll get like 30 comments that say oh you should up your vitamin D or you should do this and you should do that like yeah. nothing is less enticing than beginning a sentence with you should or reading a sentence right. with you should right, right? Yeah, yeah. it's just an immediate turnoff yeah. as opposed to something like an empath who is trained can say something like well tell, tell me more about that Right. That's what make you feel, or what's going on in your life. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily be nosy, but just to, to share, to create a connection, to create a bond. Right. right. Um, that's one of the things that I think we challenge, we're challenged to get through is not to be the fixer. Right. And Especially I should remember no one's broken. Right. <laughs> exactly. And I think as empaths, you know, we have a tendency, and especially healers that are empaths and healers which often goes together, <laughs> that uh, our whole idea is that we're here to serve other people, which is true, but then we're also not here to fix anybody. And those are really different things. And I, I really like that you pointed that out in your book because fixing, uh, it, it doesn't work. I mean, you can't fix another person. Right, you especially can... if they don't want to yeah. fix, even though they're not broken, but I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, I mean, because whose who's ego is really saying that they need fixing? You see what I'm, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. So I think it's it's uh, it's incumbent on us to see people as the whole being that they are, that sometimes the energy just isn't in the right place for them to optimize their well-being. And that a lot of times I find myself moving energies around in their field or helping them do it themselves so that they can recognize, oh, I'm not in alignment with my higher self or with my authentic nature. Yeah. One of the things you said there I think is so important. It's one of the things I really stress in Pathopedia after doing this work for a while and being in this world for quite a while, um, or the metaphysical world at least, for about two decades, and having studied experienced and or taught so many of the current modalities, mm-hmm. this idea that um, we can do things on our own uh-huh. is part of the trap of the self-help movement. Mm-hmm. It's good intention, but mm-hmm. the reality is, in my experience at least, it's very difficult to access our deepest layers of pain mm-hmm. and suffering and what needs to be healed on our own. Right. Sometimes that's seen as a weakness, and it's just not. I still remember when I first started getting into this, I, I met someone who was like a world, world-known medical intuitive. And she reached out to me for help, and I was saying, "What? Can't you do this on your own?" And she said, "Who ever told you I could do this on my own?" You know? <laughs> and I, said, I just kind of assumed. She said, "Well, stop assuming." Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, I will stop assuming. That's a great point. Even people like ourselves, who are very intuitive, we often need those external mirrors and reflections, mm-hmm. and to the importance of that is so much because what ends up happening is someone will have X, Y, or Z health illness, uh, challenge, uh, whatever, and do all the traditional modalities or non-traditional modalities and still not get where they want to go. Mm-hmm. And that creates potentially, or I've seen very often, more self-criticism, mm-hmm. which as we all know, is not really conducive to anybody healing. Right. So what, when, we, when we look at the 
fault in the system as opposed to a fault in the individual, it makes it more obvious that we need to reach out for help. Mm-hmm. And when you said, I help people see what's true for them, I'm a big, big believer in that. Sure. Mm-hmm. I like to think any decent energy worker can move energy for the other person to help them feel, feel better. Yeah. And there's nothing wrong with that per se. But to me, that's kind of like an expensive Band-Aid. Yeah, yeah. A lot better to take them through a process, which I often do, um, so they get an experience of this is what it's supposed to feel like. Oh, this is different than when I try it at home. This is very, you know, and to create that community, it's one of the reasons I do the online workshops with people from all over the world in groups. Mm-hmm. I do groups here in Portland pretty often. And to be able to have that group of eight, ten, whatever people reflecting back to you mm-hmm. what's true, to create that really safe space to allow you to go to that deep place, to make you, uh, to enlighten you that says, wow, it's not my job to heal myself, or it is my job to heal myself more accurately, but not in the way that I thought it would happen. Right, right. Right. Sometimes you need other people to hold the space for you so you can go in more deeply. Yeah. I think that's true for all of us. I'm, I know that's true for me. So. It is, and it's a very humbling truth. And even New Agers have egos. Right. Even though, <laughs> right? So the ego says, I should be able to do this myself. Yeah. Well, shoot, I've written a book about it, you know. Well, so what? Right? Anybody can write a book. <laughs> right? Is it based on years of experience, or is it based on theory, or is it, you know, what's what's the nature of your your experience in the healing? And does it get to the root level? And are people bursting wide open when you're done? Mm-hmm. So that's a quality experience mm-hmm. and something I try to co-create. Mm-hmm. Uh, so one of the big differences in the Empathic Media book versus self-care for the self-aware is that point right there. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of ironic. I, I joke, but it's true. Like um, Self-care for the self-aware is feeding right into the self-help movement, uh-huh. right? Yeah. And there are many things in that book that have proven extremely powerful for some people, but mm-hmm. others have reached out and said, hey, I can't do this exercise. Mm-hmm. I'm having difficulty with this. Something's wrong with me. Right. Some, right. some might say something's wrong with the book and burn it in firewood or something. Um, but it, it creates more self-criticism, and that's mm-hmm. just not helping. So right. the next, this most recent book really touches upon that. It says don't expect to do everything on your own, at least not mm-hmm. right away. Right. Just like learning a language, right. it's very difficult to do at first. Yeah. But eventually you become fluent. Whether that eventually is weeks, months, or years. Right. Like you said earlier, you can't rush healing grief. Right. You can't rush learning a new language, basically, of how to really care for the self in this very intense environment right. where you're embodying and absorbing so much toxic energy from even people that you love. Mm-hmm. Right? It's, it's just... You know, it's, it's, uh, it's vital to yeah. really deep healing. Yeah, right. And and as intuitives and, and empaths, you know, we have to um, recognize when we do need help and, and then find the people that are most resonant for us because it, it makes a huge difference who is helping hold the space for you. <laughs> Definitely. And the cool thing about... My work, I think, is that so many people that I work with are pretty intuitive. Yeah. yeah. I've I've heard many people say, I just saw your picture, your book fell off the shelf and onto my leg when I was walking by in the bookstore. Um, 
I just heard your name and I just knew I needed to work with you, uh-huh. yeah. which is great, you know, yeah. so I invite those that are listening, use your own intuition, yeah. uh, not your mind, not your fear, ideally, and feel in, say, mm-hmm. does this work feel right to you? Does it feel mm-hmm. right to work with Robert? Does it feel right to work with Dave? Does it feel right to work with anybody or to read this book? Our intuition is there, but I'll just touch upon that a little bit more brief more if I can. Yeah. When we're in a place of fear, the intuition is negatively affected. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's our job to get to a place of peace and relative calm to get really clear readings. I think everyone's right. experienced this to some degree. It's just hard to fathom. You know, someone, like, I'm intuitive no matter what. Yeah. Right? <laughs> and that might be true, but we also have our own internal filter that mm-hmm. perceives the information that's coming in. Right. If we're in a place of fear, we're going to basically channel channel fear. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Place of anxiety. So especially when for my, I guess you can call them more major decisions in my life, mm-hmm. which have been anything from, do I write this book to what color do I paint the house? Yeah. <laughs> you know? right. This information comes naturally, organically, and easily when I create space for it to happen, Mm -hmm. as opposed to pushing and pushing and pushing, that tends to push the information away. It creates more more tension, more friction, and again, can really color. So for those that are listening, I invite you to really, you know, take some breaths, do a little qigong, walk around the block, Mm -hmm. walk in the park, whatever it takes to get you out of that fear brain. Now, there's a lot of research on this now that is very specific. When the fear brain is, is ignited, Mm-hmm. When the amygdala in general, the emotional brain is, is on fire, the front, the cerebral cortex, the rational brain, is just not online. Right. It's minimized to it greatly. So you really can't make rational and logical and effective choices right. when you're in that fear. And another thing that's brought up in the book is the media now is really pushing fear. Oh. Yeah, it loves it, doesn't it? <laughs> loves it. And part of it is the, the awareness that says our mind wants, to paraphrase Pema Kodron, our mind wants security in an inherently insecure world. Right. <laughs> and while the media might not use that exact phrase, they know the more they keep you in fear, the more that you watch. Right. right. And that's their goal. They just want you to watch. Right. So they, you know, Someone said today that they said uh, they stopped watching a particular network because it was repeating the exact same story with different pundits over and over and over. And like he finally realized, like, okay, I get it. Okay, I yeah. can turn it off now. Yeah. But the mind says, okay, what do I do now? Right. How do right. I how do I heal this fear? Or maybe not even that, but how do I maintain some semblance of security? Right. And it's not that way. Right. Right, right, right. So we need to recognize these things and work with what's true, right. work with our gifts. Use your intuitive gifts to intuit <laughs> what color to paint your house right. or who to work with or what book to read. And right. sometimes they just show up, like I said earlier, like the book just falls off the shelf yeah. in the head or whatever. Right. That's a sign. Yeah. Right? That's a sign yeah. to read that book. Yeah. And uh, unless there's an author nearby with a string, <laughs> on the book and you know making it fall on people it's probably, <laughs> it's probably a good idea to read the book <laughs> it's true with practitioners and even yeah. food choices our body knows a lot but yeah. we, it's hard to listen when we're in that place of fear or anxiety or frustration so. right right and it really fear is the opposite of who we are because in our, if we're really getting to our authentic nature 
we are made of love. We are love. We are that. And so to operate out of fear is really operating out of the false self, which right. is uh, the one that's, you know, terrified most of the time. So, and you said earlier, uh, and I totally concur in my experience, is that to, to heal that fear, to heal the pains and illness that are blocking, actually leaves you with much more connection to your truth. Yes. Yes. And from there, excuse me, from there, life is relatively easy. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think, the challenge is to get there. Yeah, the healing, healing our fear to me is a huge piece of what we're all here to do. You know, I see that all the time. So, yeah, I understand. <laughs> uh, you just said something about diet, and I wanted to... to Kind of talk a little bit about that. Do you find that certain diets are uh, more compatible with intuitive people, especially those that are empaths, uh, to yeah. strengthen their core a little more or to strengthen their bodies? I do, and although I'm not a registered nutritionist or dietitian, uh-huh. uh, I'll, I'll put it in words that our listeners are going to appreciate. It's not just what you eat, but how you're eating it. Mm-hmm. You want to eat in a relatively calm environment if possible. Not always easy around like families or uh, out at restaurants, mm-hmm. but you know, do what you can. And as far as what to eat, well, just like being around a toxic person is going to feel worse than being around someone who's in their heart, yeah. there are foods that are lower vibration and foods that are higher vibration. Right. And it's really common sense if you step back and look at it, but unfortunately, we're not taught to do these things. We're just mm-hmm. kind of taught to listen to what X, Y, or Z expert says about diet. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, there's a, you know, how many hundreds, if not thousands or more diets or plans or whatever are out there. We don't need to name them all. But what I found for an empath, especially, is to recognize how, where is this vibrating and how is it vibrating. Right. And, you know, a real obvious thing, an organic carrot is going to vibrate much higher than a cooked piece of animal flesh that most likely was tortured in some way, shape, or form, and most likely uh, fed antibiotics or unnatural foods for that particular animal. And we're taking in those stress hormones, you know, and it's very important to be conscious of that, uh, to recognize that you know, what we ingest becomes part of us. Yes, yeah. And how we digest it has a lot to do with our mindset, which I touched upon a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. If we're rushing, Mm -hmm. how can we digest well? Right. If we're stress eating, we're not going to digest well. Right. And it's it's a lot more complex than just eat carbs, just eat protein. Right. Based on your blood type or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And... And there is so much new research about the gut having practically its own immune system or our own nervous system, more accurately. Right. That to ignore this is um, it, it's folly. Yes. To, yeah, I agree. So I, I, you know, I mean, I'm vegan. I minimize gluten whenever possible. Uh, I don't expect the world to go vegan uh, overnight. Mm-hmm. People are pretty attached to their things. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I realized this. It made so much sense. Mm-hmm. How could I not follow it at that point? And, mm-hmm. and there are many people that I coach through this that heal diet-related or digestion or nutritional 
uh, issues with this more higher higher vibration diet. The same is true, I'll just kind of take to the side of that just for a little bit, the same is true even with medications. If someone is ingesting medication and saying, I wish I didn't need to take this damn medication, well, what environment are you creating in your body right. at that point that you're probably going to not get what you could get out of the medication, if not exacerbate side effects? Right, exactly. exactly. And the energy that's in that medication goes all the way from where it started, who created it, why, and how, and how it's marketed, and who delivered it, and it's like, there's so many hands involved with that, and that's one of the reasons to make it more tangible, if someone has ever been on, for example, an organic farm, mm-hmm. and pick something, it's always going to taste better than what's in the store. Exactly, right. You got that chain of distribution and marketing that's that's in the way, even if it's mm-hmm. organic by the time it gets to the store, it still tastes best. In, you know, closest to its original source. So, right. um, and you know, you could say that's quite literal. What's closer to the source, right? Right. <laughs> <laughs> right. The sun source, as well as the the source yes. of its growth in the earth, all of the above, earth, absolutely. The divine Mother, yes. Yes, right. and the care of the person right. tending to the garden. Right. I remember when I was in Costa Rica years back. Uh, it was at this Echo community and the guy running the garden reached down and he pulled out this little green thing and he said here have some and me being a new yorker that was, I was like you, you got to be kidding me <laughs> that just came from the ground and everyone else started doing it so i tuned in intuitively and i heard oh okay i can do this and i take a bite and i said wow this tastes just like mustard. And he said, it is mustard. I, said, I didn't know that mustard came from a plant. <laughs> I just used to seeing the, the yellow. I mean, this is just how detached I had been right. from from my food. Right. And eventually realized, wow, this is there's something to this. So right. I, I go with vibration when I eat. Right. And, uh, oh, that's a great, uh, yeah, that's a great way to think about it. I Yeah, because vibra- organic versus inorganic or, or versus... Um, you know, processed food, just there's just right. no vibrational. It's like light years apart, literally. Yeah. <laughs> so. More processing, the worse it's going to be for you. And then there are some foods that really aren't even foods, you yeah. know, that right. we just ingest from the candy machine. Right, right, right. You know? So I think we need to be very conscious of this. I appreciate you bringing that up. It's mm-hmm. a tender subject for a lot of people, people who mm-hmm. really are attached to their foods. But, yeah. you know, almost like, uh, you know, we get attached to people. Right. We get attached to vibration. We get attached to patterns. Right. And the body tends to like what's familiar. Yeah. Or the ego certainly likes what's familiar, even if it's not helpful. Right. 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 So the challenge of replacing, or uh, yeah, replacing what's familiar with sometimes with, with with what is very uncomfortable, but that's where we grow. Yeah. Right. Right. Well, Dave, it's been just so great talking to you. Uh, I, I, I feel like we could talk for many more, many more minutes. <laughs> Probably. Yeah. Uh, we're at the getting close to the end of the show. I've been speaking with Dave Markowitz, who is an intuitive and uh, a, a healing facilitator, guide, and best-selling author. And uh, he has a website, which is www.davemarkowitz. Dot com and uh, also has a new book called The Empathopedia for Highly Sensitive People and Empaths. 
So thank you so much for sharing about your book. And uh, he's going to be at East-West, too, coming up, right? Because um, this will air right before East-West. Um, yes. August 17th at 7.30 to 9, he's going to do a lecture for Healing Empaths, and that's in Mountain View, California, if you're anywhere in the Bay Area. And he's also doing a workshop for empaths and highly sensitive people um, on Saturday, August 18th from 1 to 5 p.m. So, yeah, I'm delighted to have you, and thanks so much for sharing your ideas with us. I think they're going to help. Thank you, and I agree. We can go on forever. I I often, sometimes I have workshops that are scheduled to be four or six hours, or Mm -hmm. I have a weekend one coming up in Eastern Oregon in November. Uh My thought always going going into these things is how are we going to, fill up all that space that's just it's just weird and at the end uh, I'm like you guys want to keep going yeah. <laughs> <laughs> going because it energizes me to help people from that heart place right. from that centered place and people I think appreciate that that I'm not talking at them um, I'm with them right. I'm an empath too I know what it feels like to get overwhelmed by yeah. thoughts and emotional experiences Mm-hmm. We didn't even get into the specifics of the tools on how to prevent that from happening, but right. I will be discussing those in detail yeah. at East West Books, and of course it's in the book too. Yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Dave. It's great to talk to you. Thank and you. this is Robin White Turtle Listening, and the show is Evolve. Thanks for listening. Okay. Thank you for joining us. We hope you enjoyed the show. This is Deb Caracella. Please join us next time for Evolve with Robin White Turtle Lizney, Thursday afternoon at 2 p.m.